Hey guys, I don't know if you're like me, but I love Count the Dings and everything it has to offer. I just can't find everything I need. You know, I know about Cinephobe and I know about the mailbag. And I know about Bomb, but that's all we do, right? I mean, no, we do so much more. What? Yeah, absolutely. If you sign up, patreon.com slash count the dings, you'll find a plethora of other content, fresh content, extended content, the OG pod overflow, the Cinephobe cold opens that we've taken and made their own thing to live only there the re-watchingtons bomb and it's full Ooh. and unadulterated cut early drops of cinephobe episodes and so much more said the og pod now is it new or is it old mace i'm glad you asked that it is a new incarnation mm-hmm. of the old og pod oh. so it's me zach trey Waz, tom i love those guys just like we always were going back to the true hoop days mm-hmm. we're recreating that magic recapturing it and putting it back out we're talking hoops we're talking pop culture and most importantly we're talking for 40 minutes for free mm-hmm. but then another specific patreon exclusive segment for every one of those episodes funny enough about that og pod you're getting tom and trey on mondays you're getting me and waz aka zosny on wednesdays a means floating in between i'm a floater you never know when you're gonna get a mean in those so you gotta listen to them all and what if i'm not sure what maze looks like because i've always thought he's a fat man with a fedora he's got a weird voice how can i see for myself what this maze character actually looks like it's crazy you don't know the answer to this mm. because it's the cinephobe pod youtube page what the ct5s on the cinephobe pod youtube page you can look at all of us you can get all the og pods on youtube too at count the dings one on youtube at cinephobe pod on youtube patreon.com slash count the dings gets you everything all in one feed you can link it to your spotify and now enjoy the show another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app find a location near you at bank of talk to us what would you like the power to do Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Tom, what is your favorite movie scene that involves food? Wow. Okay. My first thought is Tommy Boy Chicken Wings when he has to sell Helen on getting the chicken wings going. It's my favorite childhood movie. I'll have chicken wings. The kitchen's closed until dinner. Just got cold stuff and desserts. Boy, some chicken wings would really hit the spot. You sure it's closed? Let me check. Yep, it's closed. <laughs> okay. I'll just have a sugar packet or two. (laughs) Hey, what's your name? Helen. That's nice. You look like a Helen. Helen, we're both in sales. Let me tell you why I suck as a salesman. Let's say I go into some guy's office. Let's say he's even remotely interested in buying something. Well, then I get all excited. I'm like, Jojo, the idiot circus boy with a pretty new pet. The pet is my possible sale. 
Oh, my pretty little pet. I love you. So I stroke it, and I pet it, and I massage it. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love my little naughty pet. You're naughty. And then I take my naughty pet, and I go... <laughs> Oh! I killed it! I killed my sail! <laughs> That's when I blow it. That's when people like us have got to forge ahead, Helen. Am I right? God, you're sick. <laughs> Tell you what, I'll go turn the fryers back on and throw some wings in for you. Hey, thanks, Helen. Tell me likey. Tell me what wingy. That's where my brain goes first, but it's going right now. Goodfellas. Unquestionably. When Joe Pesci brings home his comrades after they kill the dude, and then he goes home to his mother at three in the morning. Why don't you get yourself a nice girl? I get, get a nice one almost every night, ma. Yeah, but get yourself a girl so you could settle down. That's what I, I mean. settle down almost every night, but then in the morning I'm free. I love you. I want to be with you. I'll just settle down. It's just an amazing scene, which is only topped by the fact that Martin Scorsese's mother is Joe Pesci's mother's in this scene. And it's just the best. It is so good. So I'm going to go with Goodfellas, 3 a.m. coming home from Mama's Cooking. One dog goes one way, the other dog goes the other way. You were correct in movie, but the wrong scene. It is when they prepare dinner in prison. In prison, dinner was always a big thing. We had a pasta course, and then we had a meat or a fish. Paulie did the prep work. He was doing a year for contempt, and he had this wonderful system for doing the garlic. He used a razor, and he used to slice it so thin that it used to liquefy in the pan with just a little oil. It's a very good system. Vinny was in charge of the tomato sauce. Ah, got the smell. Got treats. The kinds of meat and the meatballs. You've got the veal. Beef and pork. Ah, good, but you got out the pork. Oh, that's, that's, that's the flavor. I felt he used too many onions, but it was still a very good sauce. Vinny, don't put too many onions in the sauce. I didn't put too much onions in Oh? Three small onions, that's all I did. Three onions? How many cans of tomatoes you put in there? I put two cans, two, two big cans. You don't need three. When Paulie, Paul Sorvino, is slicing the garlic so thin that it liquefies in the pan. With the razor blade, Kevin, yes. With Every the time razor I blade. slice garlic, I think of that scene. I have to jump in on this one because back in the day, my mom purchased a dual deck VCR, which is where you have two different tape slots and you can watch a movie on one slot and you can record it on the other. And she launched into this whole series of her own little movie mixtapes. And one of them was Best Scenes with Food, where she would pick all of her favorite scenes with food in a movie and put them together into a little mixtape. And my favorite from that, and I'm going to take it all the way to a whole food movie, is Big Night with Stanley Tucci and Tony Shalhoub as two brothers opening a restaurant, and it is a feast for the eyes. Maze, that was my honorable mention as I sent to you. Wow. When that other chef comes and they make that casserole spaghetti or whatever it is, and he stands up and he says, this was so fucking good, I might have to kill you. is Pack Your Knives. I'm Kevin Arnovitz. And I'm Tom Haberstroh. Tom, we're down to nine, just on the heels of Restaurant Week, but we had one week to go before that. 
interesting episode. We have a little Nigerian cooking. We have some cross-promotional Jurassic film franchise cooking. Uh, we have some blood and guts and gore and a very sadistic Tom Colicchio who just isn't going to be satisfied until, I don't know, somebody is maimed or killed on the set. But Tom, what are we learning? There's a lot to unpack here. Yeah, I think Buddha and Jackson are separating themselves from the field. I mean, Evelyn also had a very strong dish, um, but I, I really feel strongly that our two juggernauts in this competition are Jackson, your your team captain at this point. Maybe not at the start, but uh, certainly Buddha is coming in strong. Um, just wowed the chefs in quick fire, and then if he wasn't in the bottom. Um, the bottom team, I think he could have walked away with the victory. We'll talk about that later. The the weird judges table winning team dynamic and the scoring of that, Kevin. But let's start with the quick fire. Um, we have Nigerian food. Kevin, I am not an expert in Nigerian food, but as someone who has been to Africa um, and a big fan of West African cuisine, uh, you are worlds ahead of me on this culinary section of the world. So talk to me about Nigerian food and this quick fire. I'm really excited. For one, I do love West African cuisine. Number two, I'm making my first trip to Nigeria this summer. I'm going to Lagos for four days. So this was fantastic to get a little primer on Nigerian cuisine. Uh, the Swallows is actually a really great place to start because so much of West African cuisine, um, I've, on, I've been only to Ghana, so I, I have not been to Nigeria, but it is uh, a couple of doors down. Is is about kind of that starch base, that that thing that you have in your one hand that you dip into the stews and sauces that divine the cuisine. So, um, in, in Ghana, for instance, in much of West Africa, fufu, uh, which is the kind of the cassava based like lump that is. But who doesn't like dipping the bready starch exactly. into a dip or a sauce? I mean, that's got to be one of the great dopamine hits of being a human being is that moment right there. No, and it's totally wonderful. And it's why West African cuisine is so much fun because you have these like rich and sauces that just get soaked into this this thing that which is not too flavorful. I mean, if you just took a hunk of fufu in West Africa, that's more of like eba in this particular challenge, Amalia, Ian, like, you know, you'd say, oh, this isn't very good. But no, 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 it's not about the swallow itself. It's how the swallows or the alchemy between swallow and stew. It's a vehicle. It's a vehicle. It is. Instead of bread, though, it is the starch. It's often made out of, in some places, rice, some places, maize. In this case, like like cassava and, and yam is a big one in West Africa. And so they get to kind of try, hey, what is this thing all about? And they bring out egizu, which is a great West African dish. Um, there's a wonderful place in Los Angeles right now called Mama D's African Cuisine, not far from my house. It's over in Boyle Heights. Um, I think they're in the process of kind of, they were a, one of those great COVID pop-ups that are now going to try to, I think, go um, even bigger. Uh, but they had eguzi. Um, and eguzi is a kind of bean and melon soup. And I'm not even really describing it correctly. Sometimes they throw in a meat of your choice. But that was the thing that everyone gathered around and said, hey, try this, um, the chef testants, and kind of to give an idea of how stew kind of interacts with uh, starch. And, and um, I, I will confess that I, I don't one of the things that's above me is knowing which stew interacts best with which start. Like I couldn't tell you, well, that's a good Ebba stew. Not so much with the Amala. I mean, like I'm not, I'm as well above my pay grade, um, but it was really fun to kind of watch uh, this thing and got me very excited for my trip to Lagos uh, this summer, um, which is one part music visit, but uh, kind of secondarily a food visit. 
yeah, we we got uh, we got to see Kwame again. Um, always good to see him, and he's someone that um, is dry, trying to draw more attention to Nigerian food and African food in America, which is always great. I wanted to talk about that slime from the okra sauce that was in there. That was probably one of the least appetizing things I've seen on Top Chef history. That slime was disgusting that of course Tom Colicchio would absolutely love and devour of course but instead of last last chance kitchen where they try to take out the okra slime this was like a supersized version of slime which almost seemed like it, it should have been like in a Halloween dish or something like that but it, I'm sure it was delicious it just I've never seen something so slimy and it was like the least appetizing thing I've seen in a while but anyway I was curious to see how Ashley would do because she, as she says, she spent her gap year um, in East Africa and we found out that Jackson still can't taste food. So the whole journey with Jackson, I was kind of thinking he'd pick up his sense of smell and taste at some point, but we learn here he still doesn't have that, which is just amazing. I, I, I can't get over that fact. So um, there are three teams. We got Eon, we had Buddha, Jackson, and Luke, and then Ebba. We had Nick, Ashley, and Damar. Um, for the Amala, we had Evelyn, Joe, and Jay. They quickly flew through these reviews to the point where they didn't even give an, a review to Joe and Jay's dish. They just tasted it and then they moved on uh, to finish the, the the quick fire. So we just like blazed through this quick fire. Um, but what, what dish really stood out to you? Obviously, Nick, it was too sweet with the tamarind paste. And then Evelyn, uh, just too much going on, too convoluted, they said. But the, the dish that stood out for you was what? And the dish that, that won was, was Buddha's. And, and I think they were really appreciative of kind of the peanut um, inclusion. It is kind of a, a prominent taste in so many of those stews. And it seemed like they, it was very much appreciated. You know, Ashley had an interesting choice. She went um, uh, Sukumawiki, which is more of a kind of a East African collard greens that you'd see closer to the Horn of Africa. And then she added shrimp to that. Looks really good. Um, again, as you said, Jackson, the man has no taste buds and yet kind of perfectly illustrated. Like, like that orange sauce just invites a swallow, right? Like you just want to soak that up, that orange sauce that he did it with his snapper. So he was on the top three. Damar did not screw around, got right into the scotch bonnet stew. Uh, worked with suya pepper, which is this like bright orange powder pepper that you see a little too hot for, uh, for my constitution, but clearly much appreciated by the judges. And the two uh, kind of you know, bottom mentioners uh, mentioned as the bottom, Evelyn and Nick, uh, both had one thing in common. They both used tamarind and both of them were a little too sweet. Um, and and it, so it wasn't a coincidence that those were the two that got dinged a little bit. Neither looked bad, um, although it was kind of weird to see those like big ass crab claws hanging out of the bowl. Like you can't really get the full take the swallow and pinch it into your between your thumb and four fingers and dip in when there's like a freaking crab claw sitting there so just functionally it was kind of a weird one one of my biggest pet peeves when i'm out to dinner is when the the chefs don't take out the shrimp tail out of the dish and then you got to get all messy <laughs> in there and then, you and eric yeah why are we still doing the whole the shrimp tail just take it out please it's one little thing that we we need to do right before they plate and it's no 
big ask here to like remove the claws from that dip. Like what is that adding to it? So all of my seafood with the shell on in a dish, that's mm-hmm. just my biggest rant, my my pet peeve. It was fun. And I, I'm actually, it got me very, very stoked. And I even sort of went down the uh, the Lagos restaurant and food and street food rabbit hole, um, you know, after watching this episode yesterday. So was very, very excited about that. Um, Jackson Buddha Damar. Um, and it, again, we're kind of seeing a little bit of, now you have Jackson and Buddha sort of separating themselves. I feel like it's sort of one A and one B, Jackson Buddha with Damar and Evelyn kind of in that tier and then to me like sort of the bottom which is joe jay ashley and luke and then sort of nick in that 500 club kind of you know he's he's playing 500 ball it it seems like that sort of is how the the divisions are sort of sorting out to me but I, i don't think we're too far apart on that but it basically gets us to the progressive jurassic dinner okay chefs we're almost halfway through the competition if you want to win you're gonna have to dominate Park? <laughs> oh my God. Please help me welcome Top Chef Colorado winner Joe Flam. I know who Chef Joe Flam is, but he's unrecognizable to me in his getup. This is definitely going to be a fun one if you can't tell by the way I'm dressed. Tease this in the last episode, Kevin, at the very end, the most uh, devoted listeners who's hung around to the very last moments might have heard that we would have a special guest on this episode of Pack Your Knives. And I am delighted to bring in season 15 Colorado last chance kitchen champ and top chef champion, Joe Flam How we doing? has entered the building. How are we doing? What's going on, Joe? What is happening, guys? I got to tell you, it was funny. Some lady came in the other night. You know, people come in and they still comment on the show all the time. But she came up to me and she goes, you should have won. And I was like, I didn't know what to do. Like, <laughs> like do I correct her? And I'm like, you know, I was like, I think she had had a few drinks. Um, but it was one of those things. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> you introduced the the contestants this week, the chef testants to the Jurassic World. You had a fantastic get up on. So can you kind of just give us some backdrop here to, you know, Top Chef reached out to you and said, hey, we want you, want you on the show and you are a big Jurassic Park fan or you just kind of, it, it was the right timing for the right episode. Like what was, um, what was your introduction to this season, season uh, Houston of Top Chef? So let me tell you something. When, first of all, they asked me back to judge, I was thrilled. I've always, you know what I mean? Being on the other side of the table is way better, right? Um, so I was so excited. But, um, you know, in typical Top Chef fashion, they tell you nothing. They're like, here's three days, show up in Houston. Here's, you know, in, you know, three days before somebody from wardrobe is like, hey, bring, you know, a suit, bring this, bring this color shoes, this color shoes. I'm like, okay, cool. Nothing. They tell me nothing else. So I show up. They're like, hey, you're doing like a Jurassic Park thing. And I was like, dope, awesome. I love Jurassic Park. I'm a big fan of the movies. <laughs> I've seen them. I love it. I saw the first one, and there used to be a drive in down here. We saw it in a drive in. And it was like awesome that whole car scene, you know what I mean, where they're like chasing the Jeep. Yeah. We're like sitting in this dark drive in and like this old like Chevy Astro van, like, ah. Um, so that was really cool. 
but then they're like, yeah, we like got this outfit for you. I'm like, what? Um, but you know, I'm always game for anything. So I was like, yeah, sure. Give me a cowboy hat, and a fucking neckerchief and let's go. Um, so that was, it was, it was really funny, but so, you know, they were like, you know, I would have judged any episode. I don't care. So I was very excited to be back there doing it. No matter, no matter what the circumstances. I wonder what the, what, what happens if you showed up and say, well, actually, I don't believe in dinosaurs. Right. They didn't walk. Right. Like, just I, didn't exist. Right. I'm not doing this episode unless we also talk about Jesus being around with these dinosaurs right now. If I like kept bringing that up the whole time. You know what I mean? If they were just like, Pat would have just been like, oh, okay, Joe, like stop it. <laughs> We got this, uh, you know, the cross promotion with with Jurassic Park. I myself, I watched Jurassic Park when I was a kid. I probably watched snippets on planes of the rest of the franchise, but a um, lot of creativity with the Top Chef. Uh, you know, the prompt of Top Chef every time that you do an epi- uh, do a challenge, you got to come with a little story here. So you're at the judges table. And you know it's Jurassic Park themed. You know you got to dress up in a suit. And I don't know how you feel about suits, but I'm sure it was you know very fancy setting with surrounded by all these bones and stuff. Uh, were you excited to do the judges table from a story aspect? We had this last episode where a lot of story going into the. It, sometimes it was kind of a reach. But were you more interested in the food or the creativity of the chefs? I think I was number one, the food, and just you know being on the other side of it. I think you you have a totally different perspective. Now there was one point, and uh, me and Tom were like, you know, we were going back and forth, and he was like, oh, you know, this was me. I would have brought up you know a whole alligator head out here, and I would have done this, blah blah. blah. And I just looked down the table at him and I go, no, you fucking wouldn't have. <laughs> I go, you're going to be the guy who gets sent home for bringing out a whole alligator head. I was like, if you had brought out a whole alligator head, you would have been like, well, what are you bringing out the whole alligator head for? It should have been a nice composed dish. Blah, 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 <laughs> you know? I'm like, there's no way. I'm like, there's no way you would do that. I'm like, you have no idea what it feels like back there. I'm like, you just wouldn't. And Tom was like laughing and, you know, he was like, okay, maybe you're right. But like, you know, um, but so it was interesting being on that side of it, hearing their perspective of it. But it was also like, I was, you know, them getting called up to judges table. Like my, my heart rate was like, like going crazy, just like being back there. Is it nice that you can like, just that you're now at the point where rather than having to be deferential, that you can just say to Tom, it's just like, you old coot, like what the hell are you talking about? That must be one of the great moments when you can actually kind of just have the adult conversation with dad right. after all those years, right, right? Right, 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 Like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, it's kind of like the, the that first beer around the fire with dad when you're like, exactly. hey, I know like when you and Uncle Kevin went for walks at Thanksgiving, you guys were smoking weed, right? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Like that kind of conversations with like, you know, with, with, with Tom where it's like, and so that's like really cool, you know, like and Tom's great. You know what I mean? And he is, he is awesome. And so it's like really fun to sit on that side of it with Gail and with Padma. I mean, it, it was incredible. And Kwame's there too. And so that was really fun. So this is an interesting question. Like between courses, we all know that like production takes forever, that what you're, what, what a viewer is seeing as a 47 minute episode is actually like a freaking day and a half. Right. Like, between courses like what is being spoken of at the top chef table so you know like they do when they're serving that happens pretty quick right so it's like they're on that they're moving they're moving at a pace so there's not there's a little bit of chit chat but it's mostly you know 
um, that was, so what I was talking about at the table, and I don't know if anybody else was, so this was also, so we're in Houston. This is, uh, not to go back to the White Sox, but this is, it's Sox Astros playoffs last year, right? So this was, I think we were filming, this was game two. And so it was a night game. So it like lined up perfectly with the dinner. So it was like going into the seventh and it was like a close game. So every time in between things, I'm like, somebody give me a score. Somebody give me a score. Can somebody get in my ear and give me a score here? So that's what I was talking about. Um, I don't think anyone at the, at the rest of the table really cared about that. Um, but uh, that, that's what I was trying to get after in between, in between courses. So when we're talking about this episode, Kevin and I couldn't really figure out exactly how the teams worked out, but I, you were the one at the central part of it is you had these folders and then you gave the folders out and they would see the actual teams um, break down. You know, they, they were assigned to certain teams randomly, but you have no idea who any of these chefs are. Like you meet these chefs, right? No like clue. you don't know anybody. So you're not actually doing a scouting report and like, oh, I'm excited for this team or that team. Did you know any of the contestants? You know, they don't tell you anything going in. And, you know, I knew a friend of mine had made it on the show. And so, but I didn't know if he was still on. So I walked into the kitchen and then I saw, you know, DeMar is a Southside guy too. That's right. That's right. And he works for a really good friend of mine, Eric Williams. Uh, and so I saw DeMar and I was like pumped because I was like, oh shit, you're still here. Like, this is awesome. Uh, but I didn't, I didn't know that be, before I walked in there. Um, but it's also, you know, the interesting thing has been, it's being a judge now. So then I've like gone back and now when I'm watching the episodes, there's all these people I never met. Right. And so, and like, and now I'm seeing the backstory where it's like, they don't tell you anything. They don't give you like, Hey, just to catch you up. Like this is, you know, this happened, blah, this person's cooking well, this person isn't cooking well. They just, they walk you into that kitchen. They give you a sheet. They're like, these are the faces. These are the names. That's it. Yeah, you're going in totally blind. Because that's one of the things I think people don't understand is like, you know, you do the show and they're like, oh, well, you know, you're hanging out or you're talking to the judges. And it's like, no, you don't. Like they are super, super serious about keeping contestants away from judges. So you don't form any opinion outside of them other than the interactions that you see on TV. There's no other interactions with judges. They're never like, hey, after a long shoot, you know, Tom comes by, we crack a couple of brewskis and he's like, ooh, hell of a challenge today, boys. You know what I mean? Like, if it's not on camera, to the point of like, if Tom walked into a room and we were all standing in there, they would walk us out of the room. Wow. The integrity of this show is amazing. It's wild. It's really, really wild. And it's, you know, it, and they were so intense about it, but it makes sense because they're like, they don't want them to have any opinions about me, uh, about, you know, anyone. And Tom told me later, he's like, you know, he's like, I used to try to like find out about the chefs. He's like, but as the seasons went on, he's like, I figured it was just better to know nothing about it. And just, you know, they show up, everybody's the same day one and just let them cook. And he's like, and then you find them out through the season. But it's like, so the chefs get to know, or the, the, the judges get to know you because you see them, they see you a lot. But you don't really get to know them that well till after. So it's a weird kind of thing. Like people, I think, assume there's some more social aspect to it with these judges. But it's like, no, we're slamming, you know, 15 episodes of filming into two months. And you're going almost every day. And if you're not filming, you're doing interviews. And, you know, they're doing what they're doing. And so it's like, it's, it's crazy. But so they kind of set you up in the same way as those judges are set up when you come in to judge. So they're like, here's who everyone is. They don't really give you a background on them at all. They're just like, this is this person, this is this person. And, you know, I like ask some questions and they're like, oh yeah, that kid, 
you know, I'm like, oh, where did he cook that he cooks like this? Like, oh, yeah, that guy worked at Noma. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. You know what I mean? Why everything, everything has <laughs> seaweed. Like, everything yep. has kombu and horseradish in it. And you know what I mean? Like, this dude's trying to, like, forge fucking sea beans on the shores of, uh, of fucking Galveston. <laughs> oh, did you know that Jackson didn't have taste buds? Or had lost his sense of taste? No, no clue. No clue. I just was like, why is this guy wearing fucking shorts? <laughs> Can I ask you a question though? All right, so so I, I'm I, I I mean I think to what extent in what situation should adult men leave the house with shorts or not shorts is sort of an interesting question, and, and I can go a bunch of different ways on it. But everything I know about kitchens is you guys are always schwitzing to the edge of death, like it's 140 degrees, and yet I have heard this comment from other professional chefs where they look askance at another chef wearing shorts, and I'm like, yeah, why the hell not though? I mean, you're like, I don't want ass water all day when I'm running around a kitchen. Let me tell you what's worse than that. Next time you're in your kitchen, heat your oven up to about 500 degrees, then take that oven door <laughs> and then walk backwards into it with shorts on. Tell, tell me, tell me how your cats feel. Enough said. And also, it's just you know, on a tight line. If somebody spills something, I'd rather you know what I mean. If you're gonna pour boiling hot water down my leg, I'd rather have a a pair of pants over before you hit my shins. So it's a protective thing. Yeah. This is why we bring you on the show, yeah. Joe. I, I Now that curiosity has been stated. I'm good. And I've seen it done, but I am I never do it. I never do it just because I've gotten those burns before. And the people I see have done it, I'm like, this. maybe they've always rolled the dice and it's come up good for them, but it's not a game I'm willing to play. Quetzalcoatlus. Quetzalcoatlus. Quetzalcoatlus? I thought it was a Quetzalcoatlus. It was a Quetzalcoatlus. Did you have to? How many takes did you need to get that out? It took me a few, and I figured it out. Quetzalcoatlus. Quetzalcoatlus. I can't remember what it was. I'd have to look at it again, but I can't remember. Yeah, we got the Mosasaurus, the sea dinosaur that eats uh, sharks for for yep. breakfast. Um, yep. And then we got the Quetzalcoatlus. And that's the air one. That's the one that flies around. Yeah, it's like a giant pterodactyl. And then we got the Velociraptor, a classic. Classic Velociraptor. Can't do Jurassic Park without the Velociraptors. Can you tell me about the spotted hyena? Because um, you said it bites as fierce as a spotted hyena. Like, I didn't know that that was the most fiercest bite in the animal kingdom is the spotted hyena. I don't know that it is the most fierce bite, but it's a bite I wouldn't want to get. You know, I, I, I would imagine. And that was not like a line I wrote, obviously. What's up? You want to say hi? What's up, little man? Is he into dinosaurs? Yeah. Do you like dinosaurs? Can you get a dinosaur? Can we get him a dinosaur to show? Yeah. So it'll be funny to see, you know, I'll show him the episode and see what he has to say about it. Because he like kind of, you know, I mean, sees me on TV sometimes and like kind of gets it and thinks it's like the first time I showed him uh, one of my Top Chef episodes, he was like, uh, he was just like started laughing and he was like, two dads, two dads. And I was like, this is going to be really confusing <laughs> for people at school. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So let's get into these dishes, Kevin. We got the first courses coming out. Yeah. I mean, I just want to hear about Buddha's dish, this smoked alligator. Were those like, were those dumplings? I mean, what, what, tell me about that dish. And is is as interesting as it was, I still, it was so unique. I don't yet still have a feel for what was in the bowl. What's funny is like, Sometimes these dishes, and I think it's hard when you're not trying them, you're like, oh, this sounds so out there. But I tried that dish, and it's like, it was kind of a really classic dish, weirdly enough. As wild as it sounds, like smoked alligator. Alligator is basically sturgeon, right? So it was like sturgeon and beets, which is super, super classic. You know, you smoke both of them. So it was very this kind of, um, like, Baltic feel to it. it reminded me of a dish I had had years before that that I absolutely loved that a chef in Chicago made. Um, so it was like as much as it was out there, 
you know, you can tell, like, you can tell by the dish that, like, Buddha isn't just, you know, I mean, like a flashy fine dining guy. That it's like he reads, he understands, and he knows the backbones of this. And that dish is good because he understands all the dishes that need to go into making that dish. And it wasn't just like, he was like, oh, yeah, you know what I mean? I know how to use an ISI canister. I know how to use this. So I'm just doing it. You could tell you're like, oh, this is all, all the technique is really good. All the seasoning is really good. You know what I mean? The smoke, you know, I, I think one of those things is like, like smoke is one of the hardest things to do well. And I think it's one of the biggest things that even if you go to a great fine dining restaurant where you have, you know, 14 pristine courses, they'll do something smoked. It'll be terrible because they've never worked with real smoke. They've never worked with wood fire. They've never done any barbecue. And so they smoke something and it just tastes like, you know, you're like licking a mesquite chip. And so it's, you know, like with his, it was like, there was a little bit of smoke to it and it was done well. To me, I was like, oh man, that is like, you know, you actually know how to cook. You're not just a fine dining guy. Um, but it's like you got you got backbones behind you. I was thinking um, at Spiaggia when I ate there at your former restaurant in Chicago. Now you're at Rosemary, and Kevin has given a, a yes. beautiful, flowery review of Rosemary. And I am so I'm insulted by myself that I haven't been there yet. Uh, but maybe the Bulls make a run here in the playoffs, and I and I do some traveling here. Um, I remember <laughs> at Spiaggia, maybe. 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 <laughs> Did you have like an ashy, like a, a bread with ash almost or some, yeah. something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had a Roman style uh, Cato bread with uh, with ash. Yes, yes. So it was smoky. It was a little smoky yeah. there. So yeah, you, yeah, you, yeah. You, it was a great dish, but you get a little nervous when you do a smoky dish or you, you know you nail on that one. Well, yeah. So Buddha's dish was obviously, that was one of those ones where it was like, this is, you know, this is a really special dish. This was really well done. You just tell the, he was a technique guy. Yeah, I want to talk real quick about immunity here because when you're when you're Buddha, he got immunity. I don't know if you knew that before you, you sat down and ate his food, but there's two directions you can go, right? They told us at one point, and I can't remember when, like maybe we were doing the walkthrough. I think we talked to him about immunity. I, I can't remember. I have to go back and look. But I think we might have brought it up or maybe it, even, it might not even got caught on film. My question is, if you have immunity, there's two directions you can go. The philosophy is I can go big and risky and try to do something I might not have done if I didn't have the safety net. Or I just kind of DNP rest, take the day off load management, and I'm going to just mail it in here. But Buddha did not mail it in. No, he did not mail it in. He went really hard on it, which I think you can do. But I think it's different when you're on a team one because you got to go hard for the team. Luke is bringing over more dinosaurs. He went to see. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, but – you know, so I think for the team ones, you have to go really hard. I mean, if it's an individual one, then yeah, I've load management. I'm going right for the middle on that. Unless there's cash involved, I'm going right for the middle on that. You know what I mean? I'm having a couple pops the night before that elimination challenge. And it's like, I'm just, you know what I mean? Doing it up, getting in other people's heads, having fun. One more dinosaur. But it's also, it's hard. You know what I mean? As much as I say that though, it's hard to turn it off. You know what I mean? When you're in competition mode, you're just... You're just going and you see everybody else going and you're like, I'm not going to be outdone. So, and I think, you know, he's a very competitive guy. Uh, and so I think he was just like, well, why not swing for the fences? You know what I mean? It's 3-0. Am I taking or am I going? Let me ask you a question because we've talked a little bit about competitiveness of the show. If on a hundred point scale, Bulls Pistons of that era was like a hundred and like participation trophies and it's all fun for everyone is zero 
Like, where is the show right now? Do you feel like it's becoming more or less competitive? Um, it, it's like the one critique I have of the show I otherwise love, and we've talked about it a lot. And I don't want to dwell too much on it, but I, I did because you've been in it. And you and you just mentioned it, right? Like, do you feel like the show um, is as it felt like there was more at stake in the older days and maybe because there were you were you were on the show you'd win or you'd go back to your life and now you can kind of still maintain a social media presence i'm just wondering your kind of theory of the level of competitiveness right now kind of in a top chef kitchen you know i kind of i, I would compare it to the nba a lot because i think the talent level is keeps getting higher and higher you know what i mean they're attracting better and better people when you know i think you know like when when like Steph did it in like Chicago back then, there was like 10 really, really good chefs and five people they had like got, right? They're like, oh, one guy's like a bartender and one guy's, you know what I mean? Like uh Izard you're talking about here. Yeah, yeah. Steph, was, like the early seasons, there was always a couple like random throw-ins, right? Um, where it's like, they were also cooking over, under different circumstances. But I think the competitiveness there, it was like people, you know, there wasn't as much social media, right? So people were more like, they would say crazy things to each other. You know what I mean? You would get after people in the kitchen. I felt like our season still had that. People were still getting hot with each other. You know what I mean? Like, you know, there's people from my season who still beef hard, who still like, no, we don't talk. We don't go in the same room. We're not in the same place at the same time. Wow. Joe Sasto, you really don't talk to him? That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, right. I wish. <laughs> um, no, three times a day. <laughs> but you know as much as i'm like i i might think that's silly it's like i also get it and kind of respect it of like yo like this is like no like this is this is on site forever um and i think though that like part of it is like you know and this is like always my beef with the all-star seasons it's because everyone's been there before they're so polished that they're never going to step out of there you know what I mean? Like, Melissa King's not just going to fly off the handle and be like, yo, you know, Brian Voltaggio, like, you know what I mean? Like, but, you know, you're like, you'd love it if she would. But, like, that's never going to happen because they all have, like, merch behind them and they're ready to go. And they're, you know what I mean? Like, they have products that are going to launch and coincide with episodes. Like, it's so polished that, you know, I think over the years you have seen a little, a little loss of that. But I think the other weird thing, and I think, you know, part of, like, this season – that I don't feel like they really talked about or it's realized is like the weird part of this one is like, they're also, they're all, you know, they're all still staying in like hotels. So you don't have that house. And like the house is part of like that competitive. And it's like, because it's like, yeah, you might talk some smack on camera, but I can tell you what everybody's talking smack. It's like, you know, six or seven drinks deep at the house. And it's like, Oh yeah. Yeah. I saw your dish today. It looked like hot garbage. Cool. Like the cameras are gone. <laughs> and it's like, nobody might catch that, but I'm going to tell you what that next day, like that rolls over to the kitchen and you're like, I want to send that person home. Like, you know what I mean? Like I want to like, you know, and it was like when we were in last chance kitchen, like, you know what I mean? Like me and brother, like, so we were both kicked off and he was like, you know, we were going at it. We were like, yo, he's like, I'm, I'm, He's like, you're not beating me. I'm coming for you. And I'm like, all right, we'll see. We'll see. And so it was really competitive between us. And he was like, you know, and we went back and forth. And we're like real, like hot at each other, like talking mad smack. And then I beat him. And he was like, <laughs> but he was like real hot about it. But he's like, he's like, I swear. He's like, if you don't win at all, he's like, I'm going to call your kitchen every day. I'm going to call your <laughs> kitchen every day. And I'm going to say, put the chef on the phone. He's like, I'm going to say F you and I'm going to hang up on you. He's like, every day. He's like, so you better win it all. He's like, because I was going to go back and win it all. And I was like, all right, all right, chill, big dog. But so that was, you know, like we got that. after each other. 
But I think that's part of them being separated. It makes it hard for that competitiveness a little bit. And I think people are just more careful, especially because of like what the, the hospitality industry is right now. That people are afraid to, you know, to be fired off a little bit. Interesting. What's up? Hello, listener. Guess who's back? It's me, Anthony Mays, your favorite butcher turned podcast producer. And I'm here to talk to you about ButcherBox. ButcherBox is the most convenient way to get high quality meat and seafood that you can trust delivered straight to your doorstep, free shipping, vacuum sealed packaging. It's ready to go right then. It's ready to pop in the freezer. You get exclusive member deals and a variety of high quality cuts at an amazing value. Going to the grocery store can be a huge pain. You're usually in a rush at an inconvenient time. You're waiting in line at the meat counter. You're taking a number. Maybe this place doesn't have a number. You're jostling with fellow customers. You're trying to get that ribeye that you want or that nice piece of salmon. Maybe the butcher that you're dealing with has a bad attitude or something. I don't know. That was never me. I promise. But maybe it happens. Butcher Box takes all of that out of the picture. You are always prepared with meat and seafood in the freezer, and you're not going to find quality for this price anywhere else other than ButcherBox. So sign up at butcherbox.com dings, D-I-N-G-S, and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com dings and use code dings, D-I-N-G-S, to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. Yeah, we can watch trains with grandpas here. Excellent. We all will. But I see what you're saying, though. You know what I mean? You miss the nitty gritty of it. You miss the timeout break where, you know, Larry Bird punches someone in the face and then they come back and, you know what I mean? Somebody's wiping blood out of their mouth. Give me a little scout on some of the dishes here. I mean, obviously, we get a very small snippet. You tasted nine dishes. We talked about Buddhas. What was another stealth good dish? Okay. So I'm trying to go through in my head. Damar's dish was really good. I remember it was the fried oyster. Joe, let me let me just read off the dishes to, to refresh your memory here. So we had from Team Brown, we had the dessert from Jackson that to me looked a lot like the uh, Wilson from Castaway. Yep. We had the Evelyn with pork. The Nick did the crab croquette. Luke did the uh, braised beef seaweed, of course. Uh, Damar did the oyster with the fried oyster with Chow Chow. Ashley did the chicken wing. Buddha did the smoked alligator. Joe did the quail, and Jay did the lamb stir fry. The lamb duo, sorry. Yeah. So, and it was like a weird one because the top. So those top three dishes were all really, really good. Like Buddha's was 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 uh, the best dish for sure. It wasn't. Yes. There wasn't much. There, there there wasn't much of a an argument about that. But Demar's dish was really, really objectively good. Like, you know what I mean? If you were just, if you ate in a restaurant, you're like, dang, this is, uh, you'd be happy and you probably would have ordered six more. Kwame said it was the best chow chow he's ever had. It was, it was really good. And uh, I think, you know, that cake was delicious. Like it was a gooey chocolate cake. It was kind of like, I mean, people, I felt like I was, you know, team gooey cake and I was getting some, some grief for it. But I was like, this is good. Like, this is just delicious. And it's like, you know, sometimes it's like, if it's just delicious, it's like, just shut up and enjoy it. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it's like chocolate lava cake. Michelle Braun mentioned it. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, it has a lineage here, you know? So it's like, 
and then, you know, it was kind of surprising to me, you know, the, the bottom three. And I thought, you know, Ashley was surprising because she was talking about that chicken wing. She's like, I'm going to give you the best chicken wing ever. Um, I, was she in the bottom or was she in the middle? I think she was bottom. It was an odd episode in the sense that they didn't name a winner uh, because it was team oriented. You know, whether those were the three best dishes, they were sort of heralded as such, at least to the viewer, Jackson right. and Nick. Uh, you know, Ashley and Luke were sort of quasi bottom. But it was Joe and Jay, you know, Joe for the barbecue stuffed quail and carrots and Jay for the lamb two ways that were kind of regarded. Yeah, okay, yeah, sorry. I, I'm trying to remember it all. Yeah, because we were all like doing, and that's what we went back and forth in a while because we were like, Ashley, like Buddha kind of saved them. You know what I mean? And it was like Buddha saved them because his dish was so good. And so it was a team challenge. So I think it was because the team on the bottom was who? So the team on the bottom was Buddha, Joe, and Jay. So Buddha, even though he was in the bottom team, Padma was okay. like, "Look, you got immunity, but even if you didn't have immunity, it's a, it was a fantastic dish. You would have been fine, even if you didn't have immunity." Okay, so who's on who's on Ashley's team? Luke and Demar. Oh, that's right. So yeah, so she got saved by Demar is what happened because her dish because we were kind of like, "Well, was it the bottom? You know, the worst three dishes, and that should have been." That should have been a bottom dish. That's what I had on my scorecard too, Kevin, by the way. I had Ashley, Joe, and Jay. So it would have been if, – if she would have been at the bottom, it would have been – you know what I mean? And it could have been uh, – and I was kind of surprised now going back and watching Joe cook of the dish she put up. But I just don't know if she didn't like just get the challenge or if she had troubles that day or what it was. But it was just like you felt like she forgot something. You're like, did you miss something on this dish, Joe? Like, I, you know, it was just like one of those weird ones where it was like, you just, you couldn't wrap your head around it. Like, where, what were you trying to get to with this, right? Quail with the glazed carrots that didn't glaze and it wasn't cooked properly. There was no glaze on anything. There was no sauce on anything. There was nothing that tied everything together. It was just stuff on a plate. What's up? What? Okay. Thank you. There's just nothing that brought together. Jay's dish also, I mean, that one was, that thing was, that thing was kind of a mess, but it had some, at least it, it had some more flavor to it that was redeeming. But I think that somebody was on Team Chicken Wing, though. I forget who it was. Maybe it was Kwame, where he was trying to like, like make a case for it, like not being a crispy chicken wing and that being good. And it's like, I don't know, man. But, you know, Luke's dish, I thought, was kind of, you know what I mean, could have been more tender and had some things going on. But nobody else took issue with that, which that was interesting to me, too. I thought Tom was going to – I mean, Tom literally wrote a book on braising. So I thought Tom was going was gonna, to was gonna kill him for that one, but um, he didn't. I mean, the flavors were good on it. It was cool. It looked pretty so, – so it was interesting. But, yeah, it was, it was one of those things where, where Joe's dish just, I think – had the most flaws. Evelyn's been a really interesting contestant because she's kind of lingering up at the top. She doesn't have like huge beaming confidence, but I've really, you know, I would say I like her food. Of course, I've never tasted it, but I right. conceptually and in terms of prep and in terms of kind of design, I've really liked it. She did that pork tenderloin with a pecan uh, crumb switch chard and the aerated sweet potato puree. Any good? That was good. That was good. It was a very, very solid dish. You know what mm, I mean? Okay. There was absolutely nothing wrong with it, but there was nothing about it that was like, wow, I did not understand for the life of me why they all decided to do pecans, why they were like, oh, this is like a showcase of like we're all 
Like, I was like, somebody make this make sense to me. It's like, you know what I mean? Like, I was like joking. I was like, should we just put them on the bottom? Because they did this just wacky, like, pecan <laughs> thing. And it like, was it on like the, the, the pamphlet or something? Did they eat pecans? Like, did, did do dinosaurs like? Yeah. Yes. I forget how they tied it out. I think they said like, where those dinosaurs would have been, there would have been pecans or something. But it was, it was, it was, it was a stretch. I'm from Georgia. I like pecans. I think that was like the dinosaur was from Georgia too. So it's like, there you go. Yeah, like this dinosaur. Show them that dinosaur, Luca. So two things here. One, the Luke, every dish this season, without fail, has had seaweed in it. Right. Joe, would this drive you crazy is if you were Tom or Padma or Gail, that they just would have one element on every single dish like seaweed. I mean, of course he does, right? From Noma. Okay, but here's the thing though. And what they actually do there, which is true, is that it is not accumulative. So every day is a new day. So it doesn't matter that you did it every time. Is this dish better than the other dishes of the field? You know what I mean? It's like playing someone who has a really annoying game, where it's like, really, you're just going to shoot that stupid shot you shoot the whole time, but it's like you can't stop it. And so it's like, it might drive you crazy, but if it wins, it wins. So it's all independent event events. It's all it's a it's a roulette board. Like you should it, just because there are four reds doesn't mean you bet red. It's hot, right? So I I get that. The second thing I want to ask you about is the lamb duo. It is a cardinal sin on Top Chef is to do a duo because if you have a good di- idea, you just do that idea. You don't bring another one and sandbag that great idea. No, I know. I always I always say it. It's like you you know what it's like. Uh, my season, uh, David Tufu, man, we were driving up to the mountains. He said, I'm going to do rabbit three ways. I was like, dude, you're cooking over a campfire in the mountains. Like, maybe just do it one way well. Because the second he said, I'm doing rabbit three ways, I was like, this is your last day on the mountain, buddy. And it was. And it always is. Always is. And I think people just, it's hard not to get in your head. It's hard not to overthink it, right? You know what I mean? You have no one to talk to. You can't like shoot a text to like your sous chef and be like, hey, do you think this is a good idea? You know what I mean? You can't run it by someone. It's like you have to make a decision so instantly, so quickly, and so like, you know, just matter of fact and roll with it. What? I want some water. All right, I'll get you a water. Here. <laughs> You're having some espresso. Yeah, have an espresso, kid. <laughs> it's really easy to get caught of like you have this idea, it's gonna be great, something, and then it's like you're there, you like look at the plate, and you were like, What was I thinking? Kevin, I'm guessing you had some thoughts on the on Jay's lamb two ways and just poorly cooked and just so much going on there. Buddha Buddha had this sound bite in the episode. I think she's doing a lot. She's stir frying noodles. She's breadcrumbing lamb chops, meatballs. Yeah, it, it seems like a lot. And then I think that with the pickled napa cabbage, it's really good. <laughs> it almost sounds like a buffet platter. <laughs> there was stir fried noodles. There was pickled cabbage, lamb two ways. None of this stuff was sort of incorporated. What's so interesting about Jay is, is she, there are moments where like it is the most beautifully i don't say beautifully crafted i mean just conceptually it's just this wonderfully unified combination of cajun and korean and it just all kind of it it all makes sense and then there are times where it is truly like it looks like a seder plate it's one of those things and i think you know going back to kind of what kevin was saying earlier about the competition i was telling my sous chefs this is like at some point you have to step up and you say i want the wheel i'm taking control and i'm taking charge i'm always the person if nobody's going to do it i'm going to do it I'm gonna I'm gonna grab the wheel. And it was just the frustrating part about watching that with that team was like who stepped up and said, I'm gonna be chef today? Because in my mind, nobody did. 
And that was my biggest gripe with it. It was that like somebody should have stood up, looked at her dish, and looked at those, you know, Buddha should, this was my one beef with Buddha on that one. Is you know, I mean you you step up and you you look at both of your partner's dishes and you see that and you don't say anything, you just let them send it. Like either one, you don't care. And you're like, I have immunity. They could, you know, sail on this river alone. Or you know what I mean, you're just you're not comfortable stepping in there and saying something, but either way, that was that was my one like thing I, I didn't like from him in that episode is that if that's my teammates, like we're all in this together, I'm gonna be like, yo, you need like you gotta tie that dish together. Throw a sauce on. Like, you know, Joe, Joe throws a sauce on, just simple glaze on that carrot, ties it to that quail. She doesn't go home. It also feels like this is one of those team challenge an individual challenge disguised as a team challenge but it's kind of an individual challenge like you know those team challenges where you're both going home right it's it's you're in teams and it's double elimination or this always felt a little bit like more of an individual challenge kind of masquerading as a team challenge it's like baseball and they they all kind of are you know what i mean but like and it's but it's one of those things where it's like you know, and I think a lot of people don't like the team challenges and I like it because it's like, you know what I mean? I'm a, I'm a, I'm a restaurant chef. I used to having a team. I like being part of the team. I think that's where I excel more than as an individual. But I think a lot of people don't like doing them. And so it's like, you don't know how to work with other people or they're used to, you know, either, you know, they've been in charge for too long or they've been alone for too long and they're not used to that, you know, kind of like hearing and going back and forth and how to tell people like, Hey, you know what? Like, that's not going to work. And like trying to get through to them that you need to like, this is going to be an issue for all of us. Yeah. I kind of go back to the, 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 to my original thesis though. I think the reason people don't like them is they invite confrontation and friction. Right. Is you actually, nobody wants to, well, if I confront this chef over their crappy choice, then I'm going to be seen on TV being the bossy one or overly critical or not critical enough or, or, you know, whatever it is, or, and then I think that to me is the team challenge is the, I like them as a viewer just because, Hey, yeah, I do like them like you do. Cause I, I think it approximates a kitchen, a restaurant kitchen. But number two, I also like it cause it does invite a little, a little, um, you know, how much more interesting is the episode if Buddha says to Jay, what he said to us off camera, right. Or not off camera, but I'll be right. Right. Like, you know, Hey, Jay, Bubble like this is this is going to end poorly. There's a very revealing moment there, Kevin and Joe, where after Joe presents her dish to the judges, you know what? A big quail. It's actually called a Jurassic quail. Is that what it is? Yeah. Well, I didn't say that. So too late now. Well, too late now, asshole. <laughs> and she's like, "Well, I didn't. I didn't. I couldn't tell him that. It would have been nice to know that before I went up there." And it was such a revealing moment that that Buddha just totally bailed on the whole coaching part of being the guy with immunity on that team. He didn't bother telling Joe, hey, it'd be a nice little note, a little detail to tell the judges that it's a Jurassic quail. Joe, what was it stuffed with, the quail? She said it was barbecue stuffed quail. You know, it was a weird mixture. It was like some grain mixture. And the idea of, I think the idea was like, oh, this is what would be uh, like what it eats. But it's like, the problem with that is sometimes when you get those wild birds, it's like you, you, know, you get them with like stuff still inside them that they actually did eat. And so it's like, it's kind of like one of those things where you're like, I get where you're going here, but this is like not the direction. My scorecard, Kevin, was top three. I had Buddha, Jackson, and Evelyn on my top three if it was no team whatsoever. Hi. Hey, Avery. 
How are you? Oh, that's interesting. I had it Buddha, Jackson, and Damar. Yeah, I had it Buddha, Jackson, Damar. Yeah, so Buddha, Jackson, Damar uh, in the top three, if it was an individual challenge, uh, or at least if, if they didn't just give all the points to, uh, to Team Brown. But on the bottom, we had Joe, Jay, and then Ashley. And I'm just sitting here, and I think it was going to be Joe or Jay. Were you surprised at Joe going home? No. I mean, I, I, I think Kwame said it well. And again, I didn't taste the food, but the wing didn't work. She ran out of glaze on the carrot, and the, rom- the Romesco didn't have any particular redeeming quality. So there were three components on the dish, none of which worked. Protein was dry. Sauce was flavorless. <laughs> um, carrots were sad, I think in the words of Padma. So it didn't surprise me at all. I mean, Joe actually ate the food, but it just seemed to me that if there was one redeeming quality of Jay, she was cooking with a little flavor and, and that savor to a certain extent. Yeah. I think it's just, she wanted on, on flavor, but it was, you know, it was, we went back and forth on it for a while. It was kind of a coin flip one. And I think there, there was an argument to be made for Jay, but there were some things on her dish that were delicious. Whereas Joe's, it just, you know what I mean? Never tied together. There's just never that, you know, you're just, it, it just felt like she hit that challenge. She had, and, and, and it happens. Like, it just happens. You hit the wrong challenge at the wrong time and you're just jammed, right? You're like, I don't have a good idea for this one. I'm trying to make three or four things work. You know what I mean? I'm trying to just put delicious things together on a plate. Maybe I'll do this. Maybe I'll do that. And that's what it felt like is she, you know, just, just kind of ran out of gas on that challenge, couldn't put it together. And it was like, you know, that's what it ate like. It was just like, man, this is just, you know, you're like, okay, you can kind of see where it was going, but it never got anywhere. In your opinion, it was Buddha who won or Jackson on that, that challenge. Yeah. I thought Buddha, Buddha had the best dish of the challenge overall. And then, you know, I think Damar and Jackson had really, really strong ones as well. Okay. I want to get you, let you out of here on this question here. If Kevin, if you had something else, I wanted to know what is your favorite movie scene involving food? Uh, my favorite movie scene involving food. It's like an awesome scene where it's like it's in The Godfather. And James Codd goes to answer the phone and he's wearing a wife beater and suspenders and he whips a chunk off the loaf of bread and he dips it into the sauce before he picks up the phone. And he's chewing on the bread. He's like, hello? Hello? <laughs> yes. Yes. I had the Goodfellas uh, dinner in prison scene. The dinner in prison scene's top three for sure. Tom had the 1 a.m. going to pick up the knife at uh, Joe Pesci's mom's house. Oh, yeah. The late dinner. And I also had, as my um, honorable mention, Big Night. What is that dish? That sort of baked spaghetti? Sort of the tea? Timpano. Timpano. The timpano dish with a, with a rival chef. That, that was up there for me, too. I also thought about Tommy Boy chicken wings with Helen at the at the diner. Yeah. Also a classic. I also like five easy pieces, Jack Nicholson. I'd like a plain omelet, no potatoes on the plate, a cup of coffee, and a side order of wheat toast. I'm sorry, we don't have any side orders of toast. I'll give you an English muffin or a coffee roll. What do you mean you don't make side orders of toast? You make sandwiches, don't you? Would you like to talk to the manager? Hey, Mac. Shut up. You've got bread and a toaster of some kind? I don't make the rules. Okay, I'll make it as easy for you as I can. I'd like an omelet, plain, and a chicken salad sandwich on wheat toast. No mayonnaise, no butter, no lettuce, and a cup of coffee. Number two, chicken salad sand. 
Oh, the butter, the lettuce, the mayonnaise, and a cup of coffee. Anything else? Yeah, now all you have to do is hold the chicken, bring me the toast, give me a check for the chicken salad sandwich, and you haven't broken any rules. You want me to hold the chicken, huh? I want you to hold it between your knees. I think one of the best monologues is the Blues Brothers scene with Jake and Elwood when they walk into the diner with Aretha Franklin and they're ordering... Can help you, boys? You got any uh, white bread? Yes. I'll have some toasted white bread, please. You want butter or jam on that toast, honey? No, ma'am. Dry. Got any fried chicken? Best damn chicken in the state. Bring me four fried chickens and a Coke. You want chicken wings or chicken legs? Four fried chickens and a Coke. And some dry white toast, please. You are such a Chicago man. You are ah, such a Chicago oh, man. Oh, it's so good. It's so good, Tom. Where does the Big Kahuna hamburger scene from uh, Pulp Fiction rank? Like, Oh, that's a good one, too. That's got to be up there pretty high on the list. That's a good one. That's a good one. Flam belated and another thank you for probably my favorite meal of the year this year. Back in early March at, or was it late February? I forget. At Rosemary. Uh, the Borcini Anilotti, the Cacaoe Pepe, the tuna tartare, the duck breast, everything was so beautiful. Your hospitality, everything. I can't wait to come back. I just don't know that it'll be this postseason, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think this is going to be the postseason for it, unfortunately, guys. If we didn't run into the Bucks in the first round, I'd feel better about it feel better about everything in the world, but I don't see us sneaking past Giannis anytime this year. Any other things you want to tell the people about that you got on your plate besides your restaurant in Chicago? And congrats again on that. Thank you. No, uh, Rosemary's going great. Our one-year anniversary is coming up in about six days here, which is really exciting. So I have actually a couple couple alumni, uh, Sasto, Carrie, uh, Adrian, and Tyler are all coming in to cook for it, along with some buddies of mine from Detroit are coming down. So it's going to be a fun one for sure. Three Bears. Yeah, I forgot about that. Nice. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thanks so much, Joe, for coming on. It was great to see your kids. Great to see you guys and look forward to maybe talking to you later in the season. Mm-hmm. This is a tasty burger. Vincent, you ever had a big kahuna burger? Want a bite? They're real tasty. Well, if you like burgers, give them a try sometime. Me? I can't usually get them because my girlfriend's a vegetarian, which... Pretty much makes me a vegetarian, but I do love the taste of a good burger. Mm. You know what they call a quarter pound of a cheese in France? No. Tell him, Vincent. Royale with cheese. Royale with cheese. You know why they call it that? Uh, because of the metric system? Check out the big brain on bread. You're a smart motherfucker, that's right. The metric system. Send this. Sprite. Sprite, good. You mind if I have some of your tasty beverage to wash this down? Tom, Joe Flam makes an appearance in Pack Your Knives. So exciting. Love getting always, Tom, always get how it really, like the trash talking that's going on when they're six drinks in. You get kind of the real texture of the show with Joe. Yeah, and I can I didn't really realize it until he mentioned it. We haven't really seen many like back at the house scenes that we usually get in Top Chef, which kind of makes it more real world, road rules, feeling like reality show, get a little bit more color of the relationships. Maybe that's playing into this too. That was a great observation from Joe. Uh, love the BTS 
behind the scenes stuff that he's given with Tom Colicchio and, and talking to his dad, having a first beer with his dad moments there on the show. I want to talk about the scoring on this episode, even though you're running away with this thing, just philosophically, how do you think we should play this? Because like, it feels wrong to have Buddha with zero points because he was in the bottom three team, even though he could have won this, this challenge. Buddha won. I mean, and I'm, I look, I, I know he's on your team. I, I, I don't, I, I want the scoring to reflect what actually happened. And what actually happened is Buddha apparently created a dish better than anybody else's. So Buddha wins the week. Um, as far as I'm concerned, and the fact that he happened to be paired with number eight and number nine, I mean, you could argue, well, as Joe did, that he he was a poor teammate because he didn't correct this awful cooking by his um, by his teammates. But I, I mean, Buddha won the week. I don't even think it's close. Now, I don't know how to do the other top. I mean, I, I don't know if like Jackson, Nick, I mean, there was something cohesive of that team won. And so I don't know how to score it in the sense that, look, I mean, they did win and it was coherent, right? You saw Jackson, the three of them kind of get together. We saw the footage of thoughtful conversations about what we're doing here as a team, how it's going to progress. Everyone's using a pecan as idiotic as that might've been. It was a thing. (laughs) Like they all clearly were on the same page. It was very clear. So I don't know how we don't reward them in some form or fashion, but I don't know how to do it. I put them top three. I got gave Nick five points, Evelyn five points, and and Jackson five points, uh, which continues Jackson's just torrid streak with another top three finish here in the competition. Um, just he's been he's been fantastic, and I keep forgetting to do a full season tally of the points for each contestant. But right now we have Jackson at thirty seven, Evelyn at thirty five, and Buddha at. 35 as well. Buddha's got two W's and Evelyn has two W's as well. Now, if you wanted to go completely kind of Talmudic and get really complicated, you could actually give Buddha the points for winning the week and a deduct points for being on the bottom for the bottom team. But I don't think that's necessary. But you could argue that, look, that was the bottom team and Joe Joe was the loser and the street chefs were on the bottom as a team. And then also hand Buddha you know, it, this would be an ad hoc decision, obviously. Like we, we have no basis or precedent for this. But you could argue that if they were truly the bottom team, he participated in not telling Jay or whatever. And But I don't find that necessary. But he won the week, and there's no question that he was the best chef at that competition. Tell you what, let's go to the commissioner. I'm saying Buddha, normally, traditionally, we would have Buddha with zero points because he was in the bottom three. However... There's two options we can go. Give him five points because, hey, he could have been a better coach. So maybe we give him five points instead of the full 10 because Joe Flam said he won this challenge. So I'm, I'm wondering, Commissioner, your take. Should he get 10, five, or zero? I always say no, actually. It's two if you're in the middle, right? Yes. And it's zero if you're on the bottom. So I would say give him the full winner amount and then deduct two which is the difference between, in other words, two is really the penalty, right? Am I making any sense here whatsoever? Look, you've said it all. You've all said it. You've covered it. Joe Flam said he was the winner. Are any of us going to disagree with Joe Flam? No. Hell no. That's not happening. So Joe Flam crowned him the champ. So we got that in the bag. That's 10 points. Okay. 10 points. Okay. As Kevin just pointed out, bottom three is zero. It's not negative two. Where is this negative two coming from? Right, 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 right. He was saddled with a bad team. That sucks. But I guess what Kevin's argument is, 
the baseline is two points just for showing up, basically. And so the penalty of minus two is coming from if you're in the bottom, you get the minus two. But I, you know what? I'm cool with however you guys. I think Buddha won the week. He's not my contestant. The guy won the week, and it should be reflected in his score. I also think, you know, Tom deserves some pity points at this point. <laughs> charity. Yeah, okay. Some charity. He's getting blown out. He's in danger of losing via the mercy rule of Little League Top Chef. So I think you give Tom those two points, and I don't think it's going to come back to bite you, Kevin. Tom, what do you see him closing here? On the eve of Restaurant Wars, by the way, very exciting. And I know we have some LCK business to talk about as well, but just kind of want to get your sense. I mean, I, I think you, you see it sort of as Jackson and um, Buddha. I would say also up there, though, DeMar and, and Evelyn are cooking well. And then I, I see clearly sort of with Joe gone now, kind of Luke, Ashley, and, and to some extent, Jay's a little more variance, has a little more variance as a chef. And then Nick kind of in the great middle by himself. I see four tiers. Okay, four tiers. Tier one, Buddha and Jackson. Tier two, Jamar and Evelyn. Tier three, I got Jay and Nick. Tier four, Ashley and Luke. Right. That's how I see it. Is if we could break them into four parts, that's how I see it. There's eight people left. Restaurant Wars is here. It looks as pyrotechnic as we've seen in, in a long time. We're going to have two uh, restaurants here. And they're going to actually serve the diners. So that's going to be exciting. Jurassic Park episode, it worked on some levels. It was kind of contrived on others. And we won't belabor that point here. We, we get it. It's part of the, the universe there. And um, I thought that the alligator was it – was, it was kind of crazy to see him just pull out an alligator out of a plastic bag like a carcass. Um, and I'm, I'm, with, I'm with Joe on the whole Tom Colicchio thing like – yeah, maybe it would have been better if you put the alligator head, but I did find it very uh, Tom Colicchio who just felt like he wanted a murder scene on a plate. Yeah, some some odd sadism uh, on Top Chef. I don't want to – I've been told that we are prone to be giving away LCK spoilers. Um, so I want to be careful here. Is this where we announce that you're going to quickly just kind of review? If you have not watched Last Chance Kitchen, if you do not want to know, this is where – um, you would fast forward to the end of the episode or just come back next week. But we are uh, – Tom, you want to kind of fill us in? Uh, I watched – I thought it was a pretty impressive LCK performance by the two competitors. Yeah, Last Chance Kitchen here. Uh, again, we're doing last week's Last Chance Kitchen. Um, we are not going to talk about Joe's performance on Last Chance Kitchen. Um, we'll do that next episode. But basically, they had to do a broth dish. Uh, and I think there should be a highlight reel of Tom Colicchio's dad jokes. Um, this one was, I'm going to take stock of you both. And then there was awkward laughter from Monique and Sarah. Um, Sarah used uh, like a breakfast ramen, but then ditched the ramen because she didn't want to do the Italian noodles in there from the, from the box. And I totally agree with that decision. I, I cringed when I saw her like dumping the pasta into a, in, into the pot. And I was like, oh, Tom's going to hate that. Uh, with some togarashi, Monique, uh, she does the salmon with uh, with some stock, um, a seafood broth or a shrimp broth as well. Really, really difficult challenge because they have thirty minutes to create a really tasty, uh, cohesive broth. Kevin, I I don't know how you do that outside of a pressure cooker. We saw it twice in this this week. Pat, uh, we had Luke 
messing around with a pressure cooker and being very nervous. And of course, with Last Chance Kitchen, we see Sarah doing a pressure cooker. And I got to hand it to the judge or the to the editing team here. I thought it was going to be an absolute disaster with the pressure cooker because it always is on Top Chef, always. But Sarah is pleasantly surprised that it's very tasty. And we end up seeing, spoiler alert, Sarah moving on in the competition, which means we have to say goodbye to Monique. We hardly knew you. Uh, and it was, uh, you know, I, I had high expectations for Monique because of her, her bakery background and she was on my team. But you know what? A poached salmon in a broth is just not going to do it. And uh, Tom goes with Sarah on this one. Yeah, uh, Sarah's cooking well. I, I, I thought that dish looked fantastic and I, I thought her working on the fly to make those modifications was impressive. Um, I, I think she's got some staying power. And I don't, there's, Let's put it this way. There's no one coming out of the main draw that I don't think Sarah could beat. In a in a in a in a LCK right now, um, I don't worry. If I'm her, I don't necessarily worry about Joe. I don't know that I I worry about Luke. Certainly not. Um, I, I don't know that I'd even worry about Jay or, or Nick. Like Sarah, Sarah's got something going there, and it's a place where chefs do pick up confidence. You know, you kind of you get out of the bright lights. It's a smaller. You're not on center court. You're over on court 14, and you just play your game. And um, she's a pretty smart. Uh, quick on her feet, chef. So in that respect, I, I, I thought it was impressive. Uh, closing thoughts, Tom, as we head into Restaurant Wars, always our favorite episode of the year. Yeah, it's going to be great. We've had kind of an alternate Restaurant Wars due to the pandemic the last couple seasons. And I'm, I'm, I'm very excited for this one getting back to its roots. I think Jackson... Even though I'm excited about my the captain of my team, Buddha, I got to say, Jackson, I think he might have it. I think he might have it. The story that he told going to the judge's table really stood out to me when he said, you know, I'm, I'd like to apologize or I, I have a little announcement to make is that the dinosaur ate one of the contestants and that's why this is so bloody. Um, he's just got this flair to him, a little bit of creativity, a, a, Humility also where I think he knows his strengths and weaknesses and he doesn't have his taste buds. But I, I'm i going to say it now. I'm rooting for Buddha, but I think Jackson's going to win this whole thing. I don't know, but I'm very excited that they're doing chef's counter. I like the idea that there's no wondering what's going back. I love the idea that in addition to all the other stress – that comes with restaurant wars, the, you know, the expedition, the making sure everything's going right, that they also now have to be in a panopticon. They basically are going to be watched by the very judges who are judging them. On, they don't have to wonder what's going on back there anymore. They're going to know. And I think that is a fantastic, fantastic bravo for the Top Chef team for coming up with that one. Um, I, I just think it's a, it's a great steak raiser. Uh, and also, I, I mean, again, not to, not to harp too much, but I do one of the things I do love about Restaurant Wars is I don't care how nice and cuddly it gets on Top Chef. That is the one week in the season where things become unfiltered, where it's just too – there's too much pressure not to react. Where you aren't going to see some – whether it's friction or, or, or just a little more edginess, I think, in, in the show. So I'm very excited about that. It's LeBron James looking at J.R. Smith in the finals and going, what yes. the hell? How did you forget clock and score? Like you're, you're going to see that in Restaurant Wars. I am so excited. I'm thrilled about that and excited as we go. And also, you know, when you get on the other side of Restaurant Wars, that's why I say the moment in the show where you get sent home for cooking good food. That's always, to me, the moment of Top Chef where, you know, the stakes really ramp up. 
Tom, looking forward to it. I will be uh, most likely broadcasting from Minneapolis next Thursday or Memphis. I don't know which one, but maybe one of those two. But you will still have me. For Tom Hatterstrow, this is Kevin Arnovitz, and this is Pack Your Knives. Pack Your Knives.